Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Welcome to First Love Fire this week. This is your host, Keith Collins, and it's a blessing to know you're on board again with us here this week. I trust that the program so far has been a blessing to you this year. You know, I really felt like that the Lord had put some things upon our heart to really deal with over the the course of 2023, and I really wanted to start off with really a book that I recently wrote called First Love Fire, um, subtitled Living a Life of Sustained Surrender. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of talking about this subject matter and kind of different things as well connected to that, but I'm not so much reading my book on the program for the next few weeks, but I am kind of highlighting some things that the Lord put on my heart to deal with in this book, and let me just encourage you to acquire the book if you have not done so. It is available on Amazon and other places where you can buy books online, but um, just just search Keith Collins, um, comma, First Love Fire. And the book will come up. It's available through Kindle, through ebook. It's also available through paperback at this time. So let me encourage you to, to go and to get the book and also to, to get a copy for someone else. If you know someone that really needs to have the, the love of Jesus ignited in their heart and they need a fresh encounter with the Lord, or maybe they just need a good tool to give to someone that maybe they're a prodigal, maybe they're in a compromised or a backsliding position, or maybe they're just wanting to go deeper in their walk with God. I believe the the book covers a pretty big spectrum of, of what it means to really live a life of surrender and divine intimacy unto the Lord. So I believe it'll be a blessing to you as well as to those that you give it to. I would even encourage you, if you're a pastor or the leader of a church or a ministry, maybe to even acquire some copies for your leaders or for your, maybe you have small group leaders, whatever. Um, I do believe it is that kind of a book that you can go through chapter by chapter and it would be an encouragement in those settings as well. And with that said, we're actually um, looking at um, developing a, a workbook, a small workbook that could be utilized in small group settings or, you know, some churches actually still have Sunday school classes or training classes, whatever. But but anyhow, we're working on that and hopefully we'll have that available later in the year. Hey, before I start this week, I'm talking about First Love Fire. and This will be part three. I do want to welcome you to um, visit our websites, keith-collins.org and impactgf.org. 
on these sites. You can read more about us. Um, there are some resources available there. Um, I do want to announce that we are in the process of updating, I mean, a radical update of both of our websites and merging them more and providing some e-courses and, and different things like that. That's actually in process, and we hope to have that done in the coming weeks, and we'll kind of keep you updated on that. But but visit our websites. You can also find my itinerary. Um, this week I'll be in Fairmont, West Virginia on Sunday morning, and then I'll be in another little town called Buchanan, West Virginia on Sunday night. And the following weekend I'm in Ohio, and then I'll be in Florida in the coming weeks and South Carolina and um, Maryland and different places. So, so check us out online, and if you can be in any of our meetings, it would be a great, great blessing. Amen. Well, listen, again, thanks so much for joining. And this week I do want to return back to the subject of first love fire. What does it mean to have a first love fire? What does it mean to acquire a deep passion for the Lord and not just to have a passion for the Lord. You know, I've I've seen many people get on fire for the Lord, and um, I shared in my first um, program dealing with this subject matter that, you know, in the old days, when I say the old days, the, the mid-1980s, which was quite a while ago, um, I, I did begin to observe a pattern among a lot of people in the church world, and that was the fact that they kind of were up and down in their walk with God, and discouragement, circumstances, challenges, whether they be um, health-related, financial or financial-related, maybe marital-related, whatever, they kind of dictated their level of worship, their level of prayer, their level of obedience unto the Lord, and they were really regulated or governed by emotions and circumstances more than by a relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So this was puzzling to me, and I will tell you that I do remember um, those seasons in my early years where I faced trials and battles, and, and I'm thankful that I had dear saints in the Lord during that time that were able to disciple me through those periods of learning to grow in Christ. And and I, I developed... Um, a walk with God. I, as as one brother said, we need to have a history in God, and, and history became something in the Lord that became very real to me. And what happens when you have history in God is when you go through a circumstance or a challenge, you can go back and see what the Lord did in the past. And I said one time that the scars that we have actually remind us of God's faithfulness. And you might ask, well, how is that? Well, listen, you can look at a scar on your body and you can remember a time when you were wounded. I have a few on my body, even, or my body, even back from being a child. And I had a, um, a skating board accident when I was in like the second grade. And I tied a, a rope onto the back of a friend of mine's bicycle. Remember the old banana seat swim bikes that we used to have back in the 70s? Anyhow, I tied a rope and I had a skateboard. And I got on the skateboard and he was on the bike and he began to pull me. And he came around a corner and I had to really go out further than I wanted to because of the really the just the inertia or the g-forces so to speak um or the force of the gravity that was pulling me out and when i did i hit a rock that i did not see and literally the rock was big enough that it stopped the skating board immediately but my body went flying and when i did i really messed up my elbow and the back of my arm and there's still actually a scar that I can look at from many, many years ago. I'm almost, I'll be 55 this year, but the scar is still there. And I remember that 
feeling. I remember that experience as a young child. Now, in the spirit realm, we all go through battles. We all fight demons. We all deal with opposition. We deal with, um, you know, sometimes even sadness and, and grief. Um, we had a, a pet that we had to put down this week that we had for 17 years. I know that's not maybe something that would affect some people, but it, it affected us. This pet was like one of our children in the sense that we took care of it. We loved it. It was affectionate. And we're dealing with a sense of grief. However, we know that we'll get through it. And through the grief, we'll find more of the comfort and the peace of the Lord. In your own life, you go through seasons. I, I know my mother-in-law and father-in-law lost a daughter. My, my wife's sister passed away when she was 12 years old. She had a... Um, a type of infirmity that that killed her very quickly and they were people of faith and people that saw signs wonders and miracles and when they lost their 12 year old daughter as you can imagine great grief set into their heart into their life however they found grace in the lord and um, i won't tell you that the grief left completely because they they loved that daughter and she was part of their lives and and whenever she went to be with the Lord, it was very hard on them. And I remember, my mother-in-law is with the Lord now, but I remember on the birthday of my sister-in-law, my, my mother would oftentimes go to a room by herself just to be with the Lord. And there was a sense of grief. However, she could look back, even minister to other people because of what she went through. And she grew in her walk with God. So anyway, those are those are some circumstances or some examples. And everyone listening to me, you have a story. If you're a believer and you're following Jesus, you have a story to tell. You have a history to tell where God was faithful. And here's what I can tell you. Over 35 plus years of serving the Lord, he's faithful, friend. Now, I have fought demons. I've fought bull demons. I have been in battles. I've fought discouragement. I've fought betrayal. I've, um, I, I've dealt with financial battles, physical battles in my family. You name it, on and on and on. But I'm telling you something. There is a place in the Lord where you grow in grace and His Spirit and His power become real, even more real in the darkest of nights, in the deepest of valleys, in the greatest of battles. It's like David said. He said that the Lord prepares a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. And I'm telling you, that is the place that we're called to walk in. That is the place that we are called to live in. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There is a union with Jesus. There's an interconnectedness with the Spirit of Christ that is beyond circumstance. It's beyond emotion. It's beyond human um, challenges. And again, I'm not um, undermining those things, or I'm not just saying those things are not real. They're very real, and we go through them. But I'm telling you, friend, there's grace in your walk with Jesus to go through. And again, the reason I subtitled this book, Living a Life of Sustained Surrender, is because I want you to know, my friend, that there is a place of consistent obedience, consistent worship, consistent prayer, consistent faithfulness. It doesn't mean you always feel that in your humanity. But I'm telling you, we, we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And the Lord strengthens us. He encourages us. He makes himself available. And, and I'm going to do a show 
probably in the month of February, middle February, um, where I'm going to talk about how trials and glory are divinely connected in the Word of God and throughout history and how that there are some things that we don't experience regarding the glory of God and even the love of Jesus except we go through trials. And we'll come back to that at some other time. But it's important to understand that concept in the kingdom of God. It's part of our development. It's part of our calling. It's part of the reason that we're on this earth for this small increment of time. And the Lord receives glory through our lives when we go through things with Him. And it's in those places that we grow. I've, I've said for years that, that pressure always increases the kingdom of God in our life. It increases um, largeness. It, it enlarges us. So, so we'll talk more about that in the weeks, of, weeks ahead. But, but I want to I just say this today. I'm kind of looking at chapter 2 of my book today, and really this chapter is really more um, testimonial in the sense that I deal with my own personal testimony. The, the name of this book is, or the name of this, this chapter is called The Divine Apprehension. The divine apprehension. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and there's the qualifying factor there, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let me just say that Paul gives a very important qualification here. He says, not everyone that says they're in Christ is in Christ, but if anyone is really born again of the Spirit of God, if they are transformed by the grace of Jesus, by the power of the blood of Jesus, then that person becomes a new creation. And what happens? Old things pass away. All things become new. It doesn't mean they become perfect in their flesh, but it means that they are not the person they used to be. Now, I want to start off by saying this. And this might be offensive to some people. There are many people, I believe, in the church that have never been born again by the Spirit of God. They have religion. They have a sense of duty. They were maybe born in the church and raised in the church and went through the motions, might have even responded to a call for salvation at some point in their life and, and shook the preacher's hand because mom or grandma or grandpa said, listen, son or, or honey, you don't want to go to hell, so you got to go and repeat a sinner's prayer. But can I tell you that repeating a sinner's prayer cannot save you alone? I'm not saying people don't get saved when that happens, and, and I believe some people have and some people do. But But my point this week is this. There has to be a transformation that takes place in your heart and in your life. There are many unconverted religious people trying to live in victory and trying to fulfill the purposes of God when they've never been born again. Therefore, they have not become new creations in Christ. Now listen to me. I do believe a person can backslide. I believe it's it's a biblical concept. Um I do believe a person can walk away from the Lord, but I don't believe it's just so easy to do like some people believe. And here's why I believe that. If you've really been born again by the Spirit of God and you've become a child of God, a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and His love has ever been made manifest in your spirit, then it's hard to go back to anything else. And that doesn't mean that you cannot grow cold and, and nominal and you can't become like maybe the church of Laodicea 
or whatever, or even the Church of Ephesus, kind of like we're dealing with in this book, where, again, um, John writes and through the words of Jesus, or John writes what Jesus is saying, of course, that, that they had forsaken or they had left their first love. So I do want to qualify what I'm saying here theologically. I do believe that you can compromise. I do believe that you can even backslide. I really believe that with all my heart, and I won't give you all the scriptures that I have to prove that, but let me say it this way. Maybe it's not as easy as some people have made it to believe, and the reason for that is because you cannot be touched by Jesus Christ and transformed by him and ever be the same again. So with that said, here's what I believe. I believe that backsliders are the most miserable people in the world. Why is that? Because they have tasted of the bread of heaven. They have tasted of the bread of life. They have tasted of the love of Jesus Christ and their hearts have been made anew. They've been transformed and nothing but Jesus can ever satisfy them again. And friend, if that is not who you are, if you've never experienced that, I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental, but there's a possibility you've never been born again. You've never been divinely apprehended or arrested by the love of Jesus. Again, Paul's words in Corinthians are, are that if you are in Christ, if you are in him, then you're new. You're, you're not the same person. You're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Listen, when I was born again, Friday night, January the 24th, 1985, the night I got saved, I had been drinking alcohol. I'd been smoking marijuana. I was on my way to a party at a beach in Florida where I was from, and I stopped at a church really because a young man from our school dared me to come to the church, and I stopped there that night and just to prove that I could come to his church. He told me they were having revival. I went into the church with another friend of mine. I was drunk. I was high. And as I walked into that church just to prove to this young man that I could come to his church, the Lord arrested my heart. I mean, I, I, I had never experienced anything like that before. And I'm not going to go into great detail. You can, you can buy the book or you can go back and maybe listen to some of my previous episodes from months past where I've kind of detailed my testimony. But my, my point is this. I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, listen, everybody that's really been born again of the Spirit of God has their own testimony. Testimony. You don't have to have my testimony. I don't have to have yours. However, we all have to know that we know that we know that there was a point in our lives when we were transformed, when we were converted to Christ, when we were born again of the Spirit of Christ. And what happens at that point, what happens at that juncture, friend, everything changes. Can I tell you that I was saved that night. The, one of the first things that happened to me, and this is radical, and this is, again, this is my testimony. I became completely sober before I even went to an altar that night. And, and then I don't even remember going to the altar, but somehow I found myself laying on the floor in the front of a little country Pentecostal holiness type church. And the Spirit of the Lord was just all over me. And, and for a long time, I sat there, or laid there, I'm sorry, under the power of God and, and, and wept and wept and wept as the love of Jesus arrested my heart. And the reality of the bloody but glorious cross of Calvary, as I shared last week, came into view. I was divinely apprehended. My, my life has never been the same again. Have I ever had temptations? Of course, we all do. Have I ever 
had a bad moment? Of course I have. I mean, I was saved as a young teenager, and I had to grow in grace, and I had some godly people around me that that helped me and discipled me. But here's my point. On the inside, I was not the same person. When I, I, I woke up Saturday morning, January the 25th, I had a heart for the Lord. I had a heart for prayer. I, I, I knew that, that I could no longer listen to Iron Maiden and, and Judas Priest and, and listen to you know other perverted music. And, and I knew that I could no longer smoke marijuana and, and get high and get drunk and look at pornography and try to find girls to have sex with. I mean, I knew that I could no longer do that. Was I ever tempted? Sure, I was tempted. But he made a way to escape, as Paul said, because I was transformed. I was new. You know, some people have heard maybe somebody say this. When they were saved, man, the the grass was greener, the sky was bluer. Can I tell you, that was the case with me. I mean, it's almost like I had a new set of eyes, and, and I began to see through the eyes of eternity. And even though I was young, I knew that I had to tell people about Jesus, and I immediately began to witness. And and first time I preached, I got saved on Friday night. I stood up in our lunchroom at a little, little high school in North Florida called Wakala High School, and I preached in our lunchroom, and I didn't really preach, but I just shared my testimony about what the Lord had done for me a few nights before at this little church. And I knew that I had to tell people, you see, if you're truly born again, it's not a secret closet Christianity. For you can't be born again and not let other people know about it. And you can't be ashamed of the gospel. We have a lot of closet Christians. And again, I believe many of them have never really experienced true transformation. Their their lives have never really been um, completely transformed, and they've never really become new creations in Christ. Maybe they they put their feet in the pool to test the temperature of the water of Christianity, but friend, Christianity is so transformative that you take the plunge and the water overtakes you. It's not just sticking your feet in to see if you like the temperature. You know, we don't come to Jesus to try him out, friend. We lay our lives before him and we recklessly abandon ourselves to him and we say, Jesus, my life for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to to proclaim the name of Jesus on the housetops, on the street corners, anywhere I go. Why? Because I've been born again of the Spirit of God. Many people look at missionaries that give their lives for a people group, maybe on the other side of the world, and they leave the the comforts of Western civilization and go to dangerous, poor, um, you know, places like going back in history a hundred years. And I've been to many of these places, and we say, man, what a what a great thing they've done. How could they be so focused? No, friend, they became so in love with Jesus that the Spirit of the Lord led them into that place, and it is their joy and their honor to serve the Lord in that way. And listen, there are those that are listening to this broadcast today, listening to this program today that you hear me and you you know what I'm saying is even real, but you're at a place in your life where you can't say that, hey, I know that I've been born again. I, I know that I've been changed. Listen, you can't make Jesus a part of your life. He has to become your life. And everything 
that's worth anything in your life comes out of intimacy with him. When I look at the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, how he was divinely apprehended on the Damascus Road. He was a man with letters from the priest to persecute the church, and he was the one that oversaw the first martyrdom, Stephen, in the church. And here's a guy that that is driven by religious zeal, but he did not know Christ. And on that road to Damascus, he was smitten, or he was struck blind, and the voice of Jesus began to speak to him, and, and he humbled himself. He fell off that, that animal and humbled himself and then was blinded and, and spent days blind. And you know the story, but bottom line is this. Paul was divinely apprehended. He didn't test the water, no friend. He was changed. He was born again. He became a new creation. If you would have seen Paul the day before the Damascus Road and the day after the Damascus Road, his philosophy, his ideology, his passions, his desires were completely rearranged. Can I tell you something? That is a picture of New Testament Christianity. And sadly, we have preached such a weak, emaciated, putrid gospel that it does nothing but cater to the emotions and to the the, the desires of the human spirit. And it never deals with the lostness of humanity and the fact that we must repent when the Holy Spirit calls unto us. And we must humble ourselves at the cross of Calvary and say, Jesus, my life for your gospel. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. Friend, have you been divinely apprehended today? Has Jesus radically arrested your heart? Listen, I'm praying for signs and wonders and miracles in the church, and I know we see those sometimes, but can I tell you, we need the miracle of salvation back in the church. We need the gospel preached in the church. We need people that will encounter the fire of God, the the glory of Jesus, the blood of the cross, the reality of the price that Jesus paid, and therefore they are divinely apprehended. You know, one of the reasons I, I dealt with this subject in, at the front of this book is because the rest of this book makes no sense unless you've been divinely apprehended by the Spirit of God. Uh, A lost person can read this book, and it's almost like reading a foreign document. A religious person would read this book, and they might say, man, this guy's radical. He's like dogmatic. He's fanatical. But friend, as Steve Hill in the Brownsville Revival used to say, he was so saved. When you get really radically born again, the only way to be saved is to be so saved as far as I'm concerned. But when you get that radically transformed by the Spirit of Christ, then there's nothing, and I mean nothing, that makes sense to you but the glory of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, reaching the lost, seeking the face of God, even when you don't feel like it in your flesh. Friend, this is what it means to be divinely apprehended by the Spirit of God. Today, as I, as I share this with you, I, I believe that there are some listening that you've been in religion for many years, there's even some leaders, maybe even pastors listening to this, and you're very noble, you're very pious, but you've never really been born again of the Spirit of Christ. There's those listening, you're away from God. Some, some maybe you're cold, you're a prodigal, you're backslidden, and today Jesus is saying, come home. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, touch everyone listening to the sound of my voice today. Set the captive free. Lord, make 
us new creations in you. May there be testimonies because of this program today. And I pray wherever this program goes, may it transform many, many lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame today. Again, you could visit us, keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. Next week, I'm going to come back with part four of First Love Fire, and I believe you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be challenged. Can I ask you again to please share this program with someone? Hey, we love you. Thank you for praying for us. Those that support us financially, thank you so much. And we'll be back with you again next week on Maintain the Flame. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.